thousand feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. 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 You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, PhD, and our feminism, pop culture, and politics is discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing yoga and cultural appropriation and the concept of decolonization. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Everywhere, Mm -hmm. such as Facebook. Um, And also with Facebook, just before I move on to all the other places you can find us, feel free to start commenting on our threads where we post our episodes. It'd be great to uh, just engage in some discussions with you. Um, So please feel free to leave us some comments there or tweet at us after you listen to our episodes. Uh, So you can also find us on Twitter at FKJ underscore PhD and subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. And please leave us a a review under iTunes. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Can you hear the fuzz that comes out of my microphone sometimes? (laughs) I don't know. Let me know. (laughs) And of course, um, on our website, we have a donate button if you feel obliged to pay for our coffee and tea that we uh, consume while podcasting and to pay for some of the uh, startup costs that we are still covering so and thank you very much for the people who have donated i send you cute postcards when you donate so i appreciate your uh passion for our podcast yeah that's um, it me too uh a quick note about twitter we have some fun twitter followers who have tweeted at us um Claire Gillespie, thank you for tweeting and saying you enjoy the podcast. She, they were listening to it when while getting ready in the morning, and I, I said I that is also when I like to listen to podcasts. So thanks, Claire, for sharing that. And also Squelches, who has a delightful little, um, little Twitter cartoon picture, uh, who says that they really like the show, and we're so happy that you do, Squelches. Thank you. Hey, uh, that's a good question about when you listen to podcasts. I listen to my podcasts at night when I'm doing dishes and cleaning up around the house. But that's when you do all your your cleaning up stuff, right? Do you still do that in the morning? I do that in the morning. Exactly. Ah, so we're doing the same activity, just at different parts of the day. Wow. Many, many years later, we still have that same routine. (laughs) (laughs) There are routines for a reason, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That used to be democracy now for you, though, but, but before I like... You listen to some podcasts, but it was mostly Democracy Now. Yeah, well, that was pre-podcast time, yeah. really. Yeah, it's true. So many years ago. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Yes, please follow us on all those places and start chatting with us because we'd love to chat with you. Um, I'll also really quick give um, – this is just going to be like a back-and-forth shout-out forever. Uh, we featured Rise and Resist as our feminist pick of the week a couple weeks ago. And the Rise and Resist this past week, they thanked us on air and said how much it meant to them to hear that their podcast, uh, that we like it. And so that was really fun because it was like, 
we talked about them on our podcast. They talked about us on their podcast. Now we're talking about them again on our podcast. So it's just like a lot of lady love podcast exchange love. I love that. I was just listening to that yeah. podcast a couple nights ago. Yeah. I was cool. texting you about it. Anyways, yes. Excelente podcast. Yep. Cool. So, Mel, you are not speaking to me from Minneapolis. Where are you? Yeah, if I sound a little different, it's because I've covered my head in uh, my friend's clothes. I'm in a closet in Milwaukee. <laughs> I should take a picture of what I look like right now. <laughs> you should. I'm like trying to like make this closet be less spacious by covering myself in clothing. Um, I'm in Milwaukee for multiple reasons, but I'm in River West visiting my friends right now, some very long time friends of mine, one of which is a yoga teacher. And cool. I'm being very rude by not inviting her into my closet. Uh, she's making dinner instead. <laughs> but just wanted to acknowledge that, given our topic, uh, it's weird that the yoga teacher is outside of this room. But yeah. um, it was kind of last minute that I ended up at her house. And I just, I literally parked my car, came into their house, and was like, I needed to record my podcast. And I went into their <laughs> closet. It's cool to have friends that you can do that with. Like, people are just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So that's that. Can I give more updates about Please, my life? Please. I'm excited about the other two you have written down. Okay. <clears throat> you like to break the uh, fourth wall a lot on this podcast. I know. Sorry. We have a Google spreadsheet. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's a media It's a media strategy. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it makes the viewer feel more engaged with the media text in which right. they are consuming. <laughs> so I got Drake tickets today. I am, uh, it was a, I gave myself an anxiety attack because I, Ticketmaster said that the tickets went on sale at noon and Drake said that the tickets went on sale at 10 a.m. Mm. And I thought that maybe he confused his time zones. Yeah. And I was like, well, if Ticketmaster says noon. So anyways, I went to the actual box office to get tickets yeah. because it's Does nine... that help avoid the fees? It does, but it was really more like another shot at getting tickets because right. scalpers just yank right. them all. Yeah. And I, when I parked my car, I opened up the Ticketmaster thing and tickets were totally sold out. So I ran to the box office yeah. and then there was this line and some people were hemming and hawing. They're like, okay, well, what's in row two? It's like, they were just like asking them to pull up various tickets yeah. And I was freaking out in line, just basically yelling at people to just pick the best available ticket and to get yeah. out of my way so I can get yeah. tickets to see Drake. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like the worst. This is I never do <laughs> arena shows because you have to right. deal with this crap, you know. Right. Yep. And I got so I got my dang tickets and they were very expensive. Yeah. Guess how much they were? Uh how much did I spend on Drake tickets? One ticket. How much is one? one? Ticket? Not, and you know, it was like two hours after the tickets went on sale, so I obviously right. didn't get front row. Right. 130? Shut up. That is exactly how much I spent. No way. Really? Yeah. It's so funny. I didn't, I was just a guess. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's not it's not a shocking amount of money for, for Drake, though. No, and I just haven't been to a big arena show in. I have to, like, actually sit down and think about the last time I went to a big show. I mean, I'm used to paying $10 at the door right. for shows. Right. Maybe 20 Like, that's right. really pushing it. Yeah. And it's just really... It was, as a ethnographer at heart, it was very interesting to observe yeah. the scene at the box office. And yeah, totally. Just... It's going to be amazing, though. You're going to be glad. 
glad that you did it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm going with my cute lady friend who isn't like my lady lady friend. She's right. just cute. And so we're right. going to have a good time. And it is going to be wonderful. Yeah. But it is it is strange to spend that much money on a ticket. But then I was thinking, because you could also buy, um, you know, you could buy like meet and greet tickets and just these like packages that I had never seen before when I used to buy tickets. Those weren't options. You don't get like a ticket with a candle and a t-shirt and two VIP passes. And, but then I'm realizing like, this is how the music industry is responding to us not buying music anymore is that like, this is where people make money. And so that's why my ticket is $130. And that's why I could spend a thousand, I could pay a thousand dollars and then I could meet Drake and get a picture with him. What? Yeah. That's I mean, in the 90s, when I used to go see shows, you couldn't yeah. buy your way backstage. Right. You yeah. had to know somebody. Right. But now, like, this is just the way in which they're yeah. making a ton of money. Um, yep. And I was wondering if Justin Bieber, if this is because he just canceled all his meet and greets. Yeah. I wonder if this is, like, the same kind of deal where you pay $1,000. I think it is. I think that's the case because one part of his canceling was, like, people weren't necessarily going to get that money back, I think, or something. Or, like... That's what I was curious about. It's like, how, yeah. how do you even refund somebody that? Because yeah. the resale situation's going on right. and. Right. <sighs> yeah, I know. Beebs was, that was not a smooth move on his part, but. But yeah. I, I mean, it, but it, it's really a lot of pressure on the artist. I mean, boohoo, yeah. whatever, but I mean, they I work know. hard and you, right. you know, you've done performances, you perform right. and then you're dead. But right. then you have to put your smile back on. Yeah. No, it would be it would be really draining. Um, I'm Every sure. night. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, I'm, I don't I don't feel bad for millionaires like Drake. Yeah. And Deeps. Yeah. But no. But I mean, yeah, I can have some sympathy for that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So cool. well, that's exciting. I can't wait to hear how it is. Mega arena concert economy. I'm intrigued. Last update is a positive update. So I talked a couple episodes about a couple episodes ago about my school and their initial refusal or say no to putting in all inclusive bathrooms for all Mm -hmm. genders. And they went through the some some people who were advocates of this put it through the, like the right channels, basically like had meetings with the right people mm-hmm. and they got it approved. So we're going to have that's great all gender bathrooms and not that's just, awesome. so they were fighting for single stall, all genders as opposed to just women and men. So, mm-hmm. um, which is very important to people to have like all genders. That is, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. more inclusive. Some people you know, it's kind of hard to understand why, you know, just it's a man or a woman. So you just pick, you know, like that right. means anybody can go in. It's like, well, that doesn't speak to everybody. So, right. So we're going to get them. I mean, again, that's great. The bureaucracy is extremely muddy at my school. So when we're going to get them is another question. Yeah. But we're going to get them. And the people working behind the scenes are awesome. And they were even fighting for things like making sure that there's menstrual depositories in both in all nice. the bathrooms that's awesome that's yeah. great mm-hmm. that's cool that's good news yep which yeah so good news yay yay yeah. yay it worked so we'll yes. we'll see how long it takes but this is a great first step they did not deny the request so totally cool congrats 
Yeah. So what's up with you? Um, it's been a pretty uneventful week. Um, it's like the last week of actual teaching. So next week, my students have presentations. So we're just sort of winding down. There were some warm, fuzzy moments when students, you know, talked about how much the class impacted them. So um, those are always mm. really nice to have. Um, I had a really good day today, though, that I can talk about a little. I, I'd only have it in me to wake up for um, this, the studio I work at has um, like boot camp type classes at 6.15 in the morning every day. And uh, except that that program, like that particular class is actually ending because they just didn't get a big enough turnout because turns out it's hard for people to get to classes at 6 a.m. to work out. Um, so this was the last week of those classes. And it was real. I was so sleepy because I'm not a person who wants to wake up before 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, but I did it. I got out of bed and it was so much fun. It's always so much fun when I'm there. It was a really good workout. A bunch of my friends were there. Um, and it was just like a super great start to the day. And then on my way home, um, the, there's a Verizon's, uh, factory place, um, on my route back from my yoga studio and Verizon, as people may know, is the workers are on strike. Mm -hmm. And so every time I go to and from my yoga studio, I get to see the strikers and I just get so choked up and I honk at them and I give them the solidarity fist and feel very emotional about how much I love workers and the way that they put themselves out there during strikes. And uh, I just felt a lot of feelings and I had a great morning and listened to the Rise and Resist podcast and cuddled with my kitten and just, you know, created some exams all before like, you know, 930 in the morning. Dang. Um, yeah. So it was like super, just like a great, great start to the morning. And, you know, I'm already feeling it's almost nine o'clock at night and I'm already feeling like tired, which is fine because I have to teach early tomorrow at the studio again. But, um, yeah, so it was a nice, so that's just, my, my check-in is about how, like, it was worth it. It's just like a, an out loud holding myself accountable to remember that it is worth it to, like, wake up and get a, get a really early start to things, so. Yeah, I love waking up really early. Yeah, yeah. Because then you, like, have half your day done by 10 Yeah. It's just an interesting feeling to. Totally, totally. It's so. cool, though. So that was fun. So it was a good day. Yay. Yep. Um, so we want to bring, we are so inconsistent with our who's ruining what panel, but, or, um, portion rather, uh, but I, my vote for this week is the United States military is ruining the lives of brown people (laughs) in other nations, um, particularly, uh, in Afghanistan, this, this, uh, stuff came, just came out, um, about, the bombing of the hospital in that, Syria. Uh, it was in Af- I thought it was in Afghanistan. It was in Afghanistan. But you oh, have, you have some Syria updates. Sorry, too. there's too much um, war going on for me I, to keep it I, all straight. Excuse I know, me. <laughs> I know it. I didn't know. Um, the, oh, the ho- yeah. So the I heard about the hospital thing. Okay, Doctors Without Borders Hospital. In yeah, and it was an accident, and it's <laughs> that's what they said. Second it was an accident. accident. It's the second um, accident. Yeah, yeah. So. I, um, man, I'm just really not, really not down with, uh, with most of, or all, almost of what the U.S. military does. And this is just such like a glaring example of how fucked it all is. So that's the U.S. military is ruining people's lives. 
Uh, interestingly enough, I know that there's uh, military wives that listen to our show. So. <laughs> I, I mean, that's it's a super controversial thing. I mean, it's maybe the most controversial thing we've said on this show. Well, yeah. She dropped an FTP once, and I bet there's people that listen that are more sympathetic to the police. I'm not but saying we shouldn't say it. I'm just saying. I, I will also say that I am very much somebody who, like, just like cops, truthfully, like, I am very against the system of u.s military imperialism and not against individual soldiers like i i know i know quite a few people who have served in the armed forces and they're very fine humans um the best people i know who served in the armed forces are the people i know who started um the iraq veterans against the war and they're some of the coolest fucking badass human activists people you will ever meet and they served in the military and now devote their life to speaking out against it because of all the fucked up stuff that they um experienced so yeah so i uh i will say you know i know that's a controversial thing to say but this hospital so I'll, I'll i'll keep it more narrow um the bombing of this hospital ruined people's lives i will keep it there yeah and um i too agree with the sentiment about the soldiers like I often I have this opinion that the people who should be paid the most money in this country are like elementary to high school, like K through 12 teachers mm-hmm. and soldiers, because they like they're they're some of the people in our country that like give the most to their jobs, which because and my sentiment about soldiers is because right now they're like totally not taken care of at all when they come home. You know, I mean, we know yeah. this from even before their Iraq war with the Vietnam vets too. It's like, there should be no homeless soldiers. Like that is not how we should be treating them. And for our government to like, not figure out a way to like keep them stable for the rest of their lives is, it makes me really angry. It's pretty hypocritical of our government. So it it is, um, I, I wish that they weren't sent to do the things that they are sent to do um, the vast majority of the time. But, yes. um, you know, I don't support most of what our U.S. military does, but um, in terms of the decisions that are made. But I, I 100 percent agree that it is very hypocritical of the government to abandon them. And, you know, I think like every other human on our planet, they should be taken care of and have their, you know, needs met and things like that. Yeah. So. So, and then I was just going to, the Syria part was that as I was driving in, I was listening to NPR and Obama has, uh, wants to send 200 more troops to Syria. Mm -hmm. Um, but Syria hasn't asked us to send those troops. And so there is a, uh, um, this guy, Tim McCain, he's in the Senate, I believe. And he was talking, uh, about, he's a possible running mate with Hillary Clinton, actually, as the vice mm-hmm. president. But anyways, he was blasting Obama today for doing that, that, you know, we can't, they're a sovereign nation. We can't go in there and just bring our troops in to try to help. I mean, they have a war going on, right? Like mm-hmm. a war mm-hmm. just like erupted right. the other day. Um, and in some areas, like all the doctors are dead. And so yep. like, it's a, it is a crisis, but Syria has not reached out to us and right. asked for help. But we as America are like, we will come help you. Yep. <laughs> yep. We are yep. martyrs. Let me, you know, and um, this politician was saying, McCain was saying, 
well, that gives us no right then to criticize other countries like Russia for coming in and, you know, they bring their their military into other countries all the time yep. and we always criticize them for that. But that's right. exactly what we're doing. And so, yeah, that was yep. that's been on my brain, too, because I was just listening to that. So, yeah, totally. Ugh, yep, it's war. Not... Why? Yeah. So sorry if talking about speaking out against again, the institution of the military, not individual soldiers. Sorry if that ruins your dinner party, but... Um, <laughs> we didn't ruin the dinner party. We didn't ruin the dinner party. The industrial, the, the military, military industrial, industrial complex. complex did. Yeah, there we go. Um, that's that's what ruined it. So, Boom. that's that. Okay. Um, so, let's get to <laughs> what we're going to talk about for today. Um, kind of a shift in tone, but we're going to talk about occupation and colonization and stuff so um namaste somewhat related yes uh so we want to talk about yoga and we want to talk about yoga particularly as white women who practice yoga and who think about things like race and cultural appropriation and things like that so um before we get into that sort of critical approach to it um do you want to talk about how you got into yoga uh through you (laughs) Was that, was that, I actually don't remember like when you first started going, like, was it just, it was when you were doing your teacher training. Okay. Well, you, I made you come to my practices and stuff. Yeah. 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 So I remember like you were the first person that I knew that did yoga Mm -hmm. and well, I had always been like, I always shoot it off as this thing that like, you know, yuppie women did and that was cultural appropriation. I wanted nothing to do with it. It was too expensive dumb you know but you were just like always like you should try yoga I was like all right Mm -hmm. (laughs) no but okay but then I wanted to support you with your teacher training and so I came to your open class and it was the like hardest thing I'll never (laughs) forget like I could not get out of bed the next day Oh my God. It was so hard. It was a beginner's class. Yeah. And like (laughs) but I don't know. It felt good to like be active in that way and so I you kept doing and then you were doing like classes in your living room and I just kept up with it and I was getting better I couldn't even do a wheel like I I just remember like (laughs) being like nope I am weak and so it was like a challenge and you know so and I felt safe doing it through you because it's like your living room and right with like other queer people and it just felt like safe yeah and then but then I tried out Corp Power where you worked mm-hmm. and I didn't it was okay. I didn't like the people that like practice there. Yeah. But I liked the like I could go to class there all the time and yeah. you know, I was getting into it. I cuz I was getting better and I I'm I used to be a dancer when I was younger, like tap ballet and jazz and so some of the balancing stuff really reminded me of dance and you know. Yeah. I liked it, yeah. but I was like I'm not going to be that I'm, I'm a tall, skinny white girl. So I don't, right. but I was like, I do not want to be the skinny white girl in yoga. Like I just right. felt like I didn't want to turn into that person. So I was very resisted, resistant to doing it. But then I found the studio called Your Yoga that was like supremely cheap. And yeah. I was like, well, if they don't charge a lot, I bet you like, you know, so I checked them out and they're just like super chill and not, you could wear like 
your boxer shorts and a shitty t-shirt there and nobody judges you. Where at other studios, most other studios, people all have on their like $80 pants and $60 shirts and look at you weird if you don't look like that. So so then I like fell in love with your yoga and now I've been going to yoga all the time and it's helped me in so many ways, but we can, you know, that's not really the point of the of the podcast today is not necessarily to talk about how it's changed our lives, but that's my, that's how I got into it. Yeah. But I think it's important to note that because otherwise with all the things that we're going to say that could be read as problematic, the fact that we're still doing it means that it's like really powerful in our bodies. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, for me, um, I, you know, had been into fitness for a long time and thought yoga was pretty boring because I liked, you know, running and group Mm -hmm. fitness and things like that, weight machines and whatever. And then uh, my last year in Chicago, I started going to a Bikram, Bikram classes with a friend of mine, just like occasionally. And I was like, okay, well, this is actually like really intense. Like it's not like simple just stretching. Like there's, this is, this is intense. I'm sweating. Like this feels really good. I was also like, leaving the city that I had lived in for six years and was going through like, like a forever long breakup. And like, it was also just like incredibly emotionally helpful to get through those, mm-hmm. to get through those things. And then when I moved to Minneapolis, um, our first apartment melody, uh, was across the street from that Bikram studio. And so I started going there every day and That's treated right. myself to that yep. as my like transition into the city to get through all my emotions of, you know, being in a new, new place. And yeah, and uh, really just got physically hooked and emotionally and sort of not until I did teacher training was I really sort of into it in sort of what I consider like a spiritual way. But I was starting to notice myself just like be like channel my channel my emotions differently and be calmer and be more grounded and like wanting to be nicer and like just, you know. Um, all these things that is sort of like an angry activist slash, you know, I don't know, kind of neurotic young woman. Those weren't the things that would really describe my personality prior to yoga. So I was, I was enjoying how it was, um, sort of changing me. And so, yeah, I did, um, anyway, discovered core power yoga, really fell in love with their style of yoga. Um, it suited me and did their teacher training. It was an exorbitant amount of money, but part of, um, the reason that I've wanted to do it is because then you get to, you know, if you become a teacher there, then you get to take classes for free. So thankfully, since 2012, I haven't paid for, you know, my yoga classes when I'm at that studio, which is great. Um, So yeah, and the teacher training was uh, a really amazing, amazing journey, got me deeper into my practice. And also, simultaneously, I struggled and continue to struggle every day with um, being a white lady that teaches yoga at a really corporate studio, I have no intention or desire to like bash core power. Like it's, they're doing what they do and I'm totally a part of it. And so like, there's a ton of critiques that can be railed against them, but like, we're going to sort of get in, it's, it's not really about core power. So I just want to mm-hmm. make that note in case any of my CPY pals are listening. Um, like I'm so grateful for that studio and, and that community. Um, but it's like a corporate, corporate, feel, you know, you, it's, it's a big national chain. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very Western version of yoga. So that's sort of what we want to get into. Like what, what, what does it mean to have, 
yoga, this thing that started in, in, in India um, many, 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 many years ago, um, hundreds of years ago. And uh, I think, mm-hmm. well, I should, I should have gotten the exact date right. <laughs> Definitely, I think hundreds for sure. Yeah. Um, to, to have this become an industry in the West that mostly white people profit off of. So that's that's where this idea of cultural appropriation comes in. Do you want to, and we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but do you want to um, define it? Talk? Yeah, sure. I have a definition there, but you can define it in your own words. I'm not going to read. Yeah, no. I'm going to read aloud. I'm just going to riff off of my brilliance that is in my brain. <laughs> um, I mean, cultural appropriation is, is really about taking another culture's something and using it to your benefit um and you know using it often in america the way it works is taking it for profit um and i think before maybe on this podcast i had talked about like gwen stefani's bindi you know like so that's cultural appropriation because she's a white lady and taking a religious symbol like that and putting it on her head and promoting herself you know that's part of her image her brand and then so she makes money off of that image Mm -hmm. and so the, the way that uh, cultural appropriation works with Western yoga is that we're taking something that is rooted in India culture and religion, um, not the Indian religion, but <laughs> religions from India, right. and uh, taking taking the parts that we like, turning it, westernizing it, right? So with our like $80 yoga pants and $60 mats and all that stuff. And making a ton of money off of it. But the, you know, the footnote that I'll throw in there is that there's a lot of good that comes with this cultural appropriation, right? If this Mm -hmm. makes white, rich white people like calm the heck down for a little bit and maybe rethink where they're at in their lives, then, you know, so that's where our tension comes in. Right. But it definitely is. I mean, I think the yoga that we practice here in the United States and my studio is no different. I mean, they might be more accessible financially, but they're still white. They're white owners, you know, that have no history in India. Right. Um, so taking that and and turning it into brands and marketing and the you know I have more problems with like the yoga clothes that cost a hundred dollars that's just yeah. straight up profit right they're doing yep. nothing um, they don't practice yoga spiritually through their marketing of clothes <laughs> right but um, you know For the t- student and they they practice the opposite of it really if we think about Lululemon and how they have these Ayn Rand quotes all over their oh my their God. bags. Um, did you, did you, do you know what I'm talking about? Do I you do. Know about you that? just reminded yeah. me of it. I forgot. Yeah. So like, not only like not promoting yoga through this, like cat, you know, consumerist profit driven thing, but like literally promoting Randian philosophy, like on this, you know, these clothes that are supposed to be about not and Ayn Rand stuff, you know? And how would you define Ayn Rand? Like, uh, libertarian like yeah libertarian like ruthless individualist (laughs) um like like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps extreme sports version yeah that like the boots like you make your own boots right Right. And then you pull up the straps of your own And then you make made. a gazillion dollars and destroy anyone who's underneath you so that you can keep making more money. 
like that's it's just like yeah un, unregulated capitalist dreams yeah. so i should i just want to add one more thing to my definition that it's usually the cultural appropriation is the more powerful dominant culture in society stealing from uh right. marginalized exactly. culture i wanted exactly. to throw that that's very important to the definition absolutely absolutely so you know if if, a, you know, a group wants to pretend to be like, I've heard of like, like America parties in other countries where they have like red cups and like, you know, American flags or whatever, like, we don't get to pretend that that's like, inappropriate. That's, that's not the equivalent of a no. sorority doing like a Cinco de Mayo and having people like wear fake mustaches and things like that. Um, yeah, because yeah. yeah, so that's that. Um, yeah, so that yeah so that's so that's a problem um that that people in the west are profiting off of something that that doesn't belong to them um one of the first and 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 i and i struggled with that you know particularly in teacher training but um one of the first things that i read in our binder that we get for this teacher training um and this is why by the way i just fact checked i was like yeah so yoga is 5000 years old not just hundreds <laughs> The reason, the reason that I, the reason that I was like, wait, how, what's the date? Uh -huh. Is because I was thinking about this, um, this version of yoga that we actually mostly mirror in the West, really culminated during um, the colonization of India by England. I did not um, know that. So that's what I was trying to get my dates right. I was like, when, when would that have mm, been? Okay. Um, but yes, yoga is five thousand years old. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this. This, and this is so this is the first thing I learned. So on the in in the binder, it said that Hatha yoga is greatly influenced by the gymnastics of the British Empire and hybrid vinyasa styles of yoga are, are born out of the British occupation of India. Now, in my <laughs> wow. teacher training land, people didn't see those words and feel like they wanted to puke. But I was like, wow. oh, my God, like not only, like this is like I am actually like perpetuating like this colonized occupation like oh, you know just like mm -hmm. feeling so horrible but then it also after I thought about it more and I've read I have a number of articles that I um, want to share on the blog if not reference in, in our when we talk today um, but a number of people have made this sort of critique of the critique of cultural appropriation saying that like cultural appropriation assumes this sort of monolithic pure exotic culture and mm. this example of yoga being this sort of bastardized British version of Indian yoga from thousands of years ago is such an example of that because it's like, oh, when you, you know, when you say namaste, Melody, like you're harming this 5,000 year old tradition, but like Maybe, maybe namaste is a bad example, but when you're doing some pose and it's like, oh, you're appropriating, it's like, well, actually, you might be doing a move that's like the from the British gymnastics version of things. Do you know what I mean? Like that culture is more complex and that it's not just some exotic Indian monolithic yoga culture where everybody is, you know, practicing in caves and, you know, being super spiritual, that there's actually this more complicated history um, that is the products of imperialism. And although it, I'm not for imperialism, um, 
it actually kind of made it seem a little less awful because it was already, it's almost like when you move into a neighborhood that's already been gentrified, you know? (laughs) No, I wouldn't like that either. (laughs) Well, but you're not kicking anybody out, you know? I don't know. I would never move, I would never move into that neighborhood. We lived in Uptown. I hated, but I didn't like that. I didn't didn't know what I was, I didn't know. I know, but see, for me, I have more trouble moving into neighborhoods that aren't gentrified because I know I would be a gentrifier. Well, that's a okay. Anyways, yeah, it's different. But uh, see, I don't know if I like that I'm practicing. I didn't know this about the British Empire. Yeah, I don't know if I like that I'm practicing imperialist yoga. I don't. That makes me feel uncomfortable too. Of course, it makes me feel uncomfortable, but it's um, less. It feels less about. It feels like it's less a problem of cultural. <clears throat> Because it's already been through one layer of our, whiteness. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that's true. So that's just so that's so that's something that sort of complexifies the question of cultural appropriation, I think. Um, I like that, that word complexifies. Is that even a word? I was like, I don't know. I love that word. Um, it is a word now. Complexifies. Okay, Perfect. Academics get to make words up, so exactly. Done. Um so yeah. Uh that so that's so that's one thing that that's that's always stuck out to me just about since doing my teacher training um that the critique of cultural appropriation can sometimes work to essentialize people and cultures and that that's that's problematic also so that's that's one thing i think that's important to note that said that doesn't like let white people off the hook and so um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about that before we sort of talk about, um, what we can do to sort of try to work against this, all the problems of it? Oh, yes. I have one more thing to say about that. Um, well, I'm interested in the, you brought up the term namaste mm-hmm. and I have a friend that, um, I went to do yoga with. It was hot yoga. I don't like Bikram yoga. I do not mm-hmm. like that. That's stu- it's like because I don't do hot yoga, and mm-hmm. then I go do hot yoga, and then I can't do any of my moves because the heat mm-hmm. is suffocating me. And I'm like, how come I can't do tree pose anymore? I'm falling mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm interested in the word, or so she. Anyways, this friend of mine, she will not do the Namaste bow thing at the end, mm-hmm. and like at some. If I, we have guest teachers, sometimes they do the ohm thing, ohm, and mm-hmm, I don't do mm-hmm. that because that makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, like, how you feel about this from a teacher standpoint, or if you know more about that, like, not being able to use, like, because there's, so we, I just said tree pose, but there's, like, a yoga word for it that's a not Sanskrit English. Sanskrit word. Sanskrit yeah. word, yeah. yeah. So, like... How does link? Yeah. So do you have any insight into that kind of stuff? Because that stuff also makes me feel uncomfortable. Like I shouldn't be participating in it. Yeah, that's um, I think this is this is complicated. And I would love I I have talked to Indian people about this, so I have some insight, but I would love to hear more more insights. Well, Indian American people like Mm -hmm. people from the country of India, too. Um, Or the anyway. Okay, so. I think it's kind of split. I think on the one hand, I feel really committed to learning the Sanskrit to be a better teacher of yoga and honor and honor the tradition 
and honor the Sanskrit. And I spent a lot of time, you know, studying Sanskrit in my teacher training because I wanted to give it the credit it it deserved. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's an equivalent of like, you know, going to another country and trying to at least learn to speak a little of the language as, Mm -hmm. you know, as sort of a tourist, I guess. Yeah. Um, And so that feels actually really important to me um, to, to keep the Sanskrit alive. I usually say both were trained in my, in my teacher training, we were trained to say usually both for most, most things. So Tadasana mountain pose, Um, Mm. you know, Virabhadrasana two, warrior two. Um, Mm. And you just sort of say them one after another. Hmm. Um, So that, that actually feels something like I'm, I'm pretty committed to as, as a positive thing. Okay. So, but I think that's, but I think that's interesting. And I think the OM stuff, you know, there's, it's really hard, um, particularly, and there's some websites we'll mention down below, like so far there hasn't been a mass movement of Indian people telling white people to stop doing yoga, nor has there been a mass movement of, um, you know, religions and spiritual practices that incorporate chanting um, asking white people to stop doing those things. And so chanting is, it is a form of like spiritual meditation and generally spiritual traditions want, it's like the more people, the better, you know? Right. So that's sort of how I feel about those two things. Yeah, that is, I have lots of, I'm just not really like responding very quickly because I have lots of, I'm thinking a lot about that, about how I think that's very, um, like in America, we're so greedy and selfish that I think maybe sometimes our thinking goes to like, why aren't they yelling at us for doing Mm -hmm. this? But -hmm. there's another way of thinking of like, if you are gaining, if you are getting benefits from this then why would we say anything about you doing it just because you're Mm -hmm. white? You know, that's like us judging ourselves, like assuming how other people are judging us, even though we haven't heard that. You know, and I think that we sit with this a lot because we're like white allies and social justice activists, right? And so we hold ourselves to extremely high standards. Right. And we just go ahead and assume all these things about what other... And I think our analyses are correct and other people of color have called us out for practicing yoga. You know, like Mm -hmm. we didn't come up with this critique on our own necessarily, but um, we should allow for room for, you know the possibility that other spiritual people would want us to benefit from it, you know, which is what I said earlier. It's like yoga brings, I mean, it is, it's just like so wonderful for your mental health Mm -hmm. first and foremost that I could see that plenty of people would be like, sure, kids doing yoga, like hands, it's like, great. Like that's not cultural appropriation. That is bringing kids mindfulness and peace. Right. Right. There's, so then there's no discussion. Right. So, Right, exactly. And add another was... complexity. What was your word? Complexify? Just to com- complexify yeah. it a little bit more. Right. Nuance. The other word we could say is nuance. It eh, no, but, um, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I felt, I felt similarly. Um, you know, I did this teacher training and mostly teach at this corporate studio to mostly wealthy white people. But one of my dreams when doing the training was that I could start teaching yoga in the jail that I was volunteering at. And, you know, I started that. And, like, 
most people seemed like, oh yeah, of course, you know, bringing it, bringing yoga to marginalized populations was like a very noble, what I, you know, you know, the reaction was like, that's a great, who wouldn't want people in jail to have yoga? Like, that's great. But it's not like, I mean, I, every person I taught in the jail was, was a black person. They weren't, they weren't from India Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, but so it's like this idea of like, like you were saying with kids in school, like, of course it's going to benefit people. So like, yes, white people need to be particularly fucking like accountable for all the shit and privilege they bring to this practice. But like, you know, we're not, we're not trying to deny it to kids in school. People, you know, the fact that why would we want to deny this to anyone, let alone these marginalized people who are also not from India. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I do. So, yeah. So, those are, as somebody who, who really, you know, whose, whose knee jerk reaction was like, oh fuck, I'm doing something really bad by practicing this as a white person. Clearly everything I just sort of said was like kind of pushing back. Like, actually it's not that bad. And all of that said, like I, like I just said a minute ago, I still think it's very important that white people like are mindful about, about all, all their privilege. So what I wanted to bring up next was this amazing website, Decolonizing Yoga, yes. which um, features a lot of really great voices and writers um, speaking about exactly the kinds of stuff that we're talking about. Um, the website slash movement started as part of the Hyatt Hotel boycott, which is particularly close to my heart because I was a big part of my dissertation. Um, but the Yoga Journal Conference was originally supposed to have their conference there. And there was a big backlash of yogis who said, um, you know, we're, we're, we have an intersectional yoga practice where we believe like, you know, kindness to all beings includes workers and we're not going to cross mm-hmm. the picket line to like go to your fucking conference. And uh, so they, this, so this, and the, thus this sort of website, this like yoga is about, you know, racial justice, labor justice, you know, being mindful of appropriation, like all of these things sort of happened at this, um, at this uh, strike site, this boycott site. And, um, the, the boycott ended up ending before the conference. So, you know, Mm. the conference still happened there, but the boycott wasn't going on. So anyway, that's the background of the, of the movement. And I wanted to specifically read kind of a long chunk of this article, um, by Susana Barkataki. Um, I hope I said that right. Um, because, this the name of this article is how to decolonize your yoga practice and she is you know kindly writing a sort of primer to to white folks so I want to read her sort of preface and then we can sort of talk through our own approach to um decolonizing our practice or being accountable or mindful however you want to talk about it um but I'll read this preface so she says Uh, It took me going to India to really connect with the roots I was seeking on the mat in yoga studios. As I walked the streets of Shimla's legendary markets, I learned that Indians had been forbidden to tread the main thoroughfares. It was here that I started to apprehend the true meaning of colonization. Did you know that yoga and Ayurveda were banned in India under British rule and colonization? So she's talking about, um, you know, the original yoga. Mm -hmm. Um, The practices millions of Westerners now turn to for alternative health and wellness therapies were intentionally eradicated from parts of India to the point that lineages were broken and thousand-year-old traditions lost. To be colonized is to become a stranger in your own land. 
as a desi. I think I said, I think that's how they, how we say that. This is the feeling I get in most westernized yoga spaces today. Of course, powerful practices that reduce suffering persist despite all attempts to end them. These facts are critical to understanding the power and privilege we continue to possess or lack, to clarifying the positionalities we embody as we practice, teach, and share yoga today. Now, when so much of what the white Western world sees as true yoga is beautifully achieved physical po postures, accomplished, photographed, and displayed by popular yoga magazines, journals, and sites, executed by mostly young, white, stylish yoga apparel-clad women and men, uh, yoga is going through a second colonization. This mm -hmm. colonization is the misrepresentation of yoga's intention, its many limbs, and its aims. Yoga is not now, nor has it ever been, a practice aimed at physical mastery for its own sake, nor is it a practice aimed at quote-unquote, stress reduction so we can function as better producers and consumers in a capitalist mm. society. So I love that last line. Snappies, so, yeah. yeah. Snap, snap, snap. Um, so we're saying, yes, yoga does reduce stress, but <laughs> if, if our stress reduction is so that we can be, and this is so evident when you see, like, giant corporations having yoga lunch breaks in their offices, like Ooh, yeah. they are doing that so that they can fucking make more fucking money. And that's disgusting. <laughs> so like, mm. what is our, what, is, what are, why do we seek mental and emotional health? Is it so that we can participate in oppressive, the oppressive system of capitalist, imperialist, racist, et cetera, et cetera. Or is it because we want to be our best healthy selves to resist those forces and fight those forces? So I think that's what it kind of comes down to. Do you have any other thoughts about that passage? Dang. I would like to say two things. One, the to be colonized is to become a stranger in your own land. Mm -hmm. I feel like this ties back to all my like obsession with gentrification. It's like, mm -hmm. and there's some spaces I'm thinking of Portland in specific that like, we could just say that like Portland, this area of Portland has been colonized. So anyways, mm -hmm. I just really appreciate that definition. And also... Um, the ending about the stress so we could be better workers is interesting because the reason why I started doing yoga is because I wanted to be a better person to my friends mm -hmm. and family and partners. And, you know, I wanted to show up better for my partner when I, you know, I wanted mm -hmm. to be calmer. But the thing is, I think what was causing me to be not calm is my crazy work ethic, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. it is, it, it does come back to work. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's not like, I want to be calmer at work. It's like F work, you know, but slash, I love teaching. So, I mean, like seeing my students does not make me crazy. Right. Um, it's my own personal work ethic that, that does, but that's rooted yeah. in being a crazy, busy bee worker. Yeah. Oh, so I'm German. If you couldn't tell, <laughs> it's like in my blood, stupid capitalism. Anyways. So yeah, that is, yeah, that is something to, to think about. Yeah. So she, I, we're, we're kind of getting already close to time a little bit, but she, I do want to run through sort of her suggestions for what she describes as decolonizing your yoga practice. I, you know, I might, I can add some, you can add some. And then I also just want to sort of end with talking about this idea of decolonization and explore that a tiny bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, so she says inquire within, um, so really practice self-inquiry, um, and, to be to be fully, uh, she says, to truly learn the full, honest integrity of an authentic yoga practice. So, self inquiry. So, being accountable, being like looking, why? Are, what is the intention behind your actions? What 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 is motivating your practice? Um, explore, learn, and cite correct cultural references. So, um, 
I, you know, this is where I think the sort of Sanskrit thing comes in. Um, mm-hmm. She says uh, she would love to see more of us citing cultural references as we attempt to understand and connect with the complexity, culture, and history from which the tradition comes. Uh, I try to do this sometimes in my classes um, when we use things from Patanjali. Uh, that's the sort of uh, person who's accredited with writing the sort of yoga text, like the spiritual text. So there's the eight limb path and there's all these different um, facets that go beyond physical practice. And uh, a lot of teachers, yoga teachers try to bring those into their classes to as an intention as we move through the practice. So things like that. Um, Ask ourselves and other yoga teachers the hard questions, things like for whom is yoga accessible today and how might that be a legacy of past injustices that we have the opportunity to address through our teaching practice in our lives. Um, to live, this goes back to what I just said, live, know, and share practices of all eight limbs of yoga, not just asana. Asana refers to physical practice. The other limbs of yoga um, are about much more sort of mental, emotional, spiritual sorts of things. Um, and be humble and honor your own and other people's journey. And I think humbleness is also super important and something that is so ignored in like contemporary Western white yoga culture in terms of just like the way that like, just like skinny white women take in filling up Instagrams and magazines with them doing fancy poses. It's just like, so not what it's all about. And there's nothing wrong with like, I have plenty of yoga selfies, um, but yeah, usually you're like in down dog though. You're not doing right. like crazy handstands. Right. And I, you know, and Scorpio, like Scorpio, right. And like, whatever. it's fine. Like if people want to do those poses, but again, like what's the intention behind it? Like when I to share show the- off, not <laughs> you, not what you do, you do other, you do hippy dippy stuff, but I do. Hippy dippy. Yeah. Cause I always caption it with like a quote and whatever. <laughs> um, Today I'm grateful for blah, blah, yes. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you. I'm just. No, no. Yeah. That's my example of your hippy dippy. Yeah. Okay. So do you have anything to add to that? Like, what do you do to feel like you are at least fighting against some of what it means to be a white person practicing yoga? Um, I talk with my yoga studio owners a lot about this, actually. And I um, encourage them to like, like, for example, they were doing a yoga book club. And I was like, can we do like something? Can we read a book about decolonizing yoga? Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't respond. But mm-hmm. uh, but now they're doing, I think, I, I'm i not the person that like started this or whatever. But like um, now we have workshops on racial justice and yoga. And there's going to be a feminism mm-hmm. and yoga workshop. And I said yeah, like, this is, cool. oh my God, this is the yoga studio of my dreams. And yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, I've just been starting conversations with them about that stuff. Um so that's something I do to just kind of impact my own studio. Yeah, that's um, great. I think that's I think that's super great. I guess um, I try to be a good yogi in the studio. Like I just try to be really friendly and not competitive mm-hmm. and talk to new newcomers because I know I was a newcomer. It's like mm-hmm. Western yoga is very intimidating, and um, I just try to be make it as fun as possible you know so totally. i just try to like lighten it up a little bit and it's not we just don't have a serious yoga studio i remember coming from core power going to my studio everybody's like laughing and talking before class yeah. and it, if you haven't been to core power it's silent in the yeah in the studios and so i was like <gasps> shut up everybody i need to like get with myself but you know this studio is more 
like chit chatty and yeah yeah um, yeah different cultures and different so. studios for sure yeah but you know as i was as you were reading your list you know our studio it's a flight of stairs it's totally yeah. inaccessible yeah. to yeah. a lot of people yeah so um just you know thinking about you know so bringing that up to my studio would be something else i could i would do yeah just didn't think about it until you said that so anyways that's what i do yeah that's that's all great um yeah i think there's a i think the question of de- decolonizing and honoring the tr- the legacy the indian legacy of it is like one thing and then how to make it more accessible to diversity in the United States is another or in Western sure, whatever, is another thing. Sure, that makes sense, yeah. Um, because the second thing I feel like I'm pretty solid at, like I co- constantly try to like encourage my fellow teachers at Core Power to like not assume genders and to not say, mm. okay, ladies, when they walk into a room and assume everybody's a lady. Right. Or, you know, I get really upset when they talk about like women needing to get ready for their bikinis and like being really like body like skinny body focused and not body positive. And so things like that, um, uh, I'm, I'm really committed to, and I have a lot easier time doing because I feel like, um, as like a white activist, I can, you know, I can speak to a lot of those different, you know, as a queer activist woman who's been involved in that kind of work, I can speak to that better than I can, this idea of actually stealing this sort of like cultural tradition. So, so mm-hmm. that's, that's what I need to do more work on is this idea of, of the decolonization aspect. Um, and on that note, one last thing, I do want to bring back our beloved Robin DG Kelly because um, yes. the critical or the ethnic studies conference uh, in 2013, he was a speaker and he made a really good point. This idea of decolonizing is like very thrown around in the internet world and activist world. And, um, it's very much used in this way that we can like individually, like there's like a lot of stuff about decolonizing your mind and how can you decolonize your practice? And it becomes this like very individual practice. And Robin DG Kelly as a good Marxist would reminded us that like colonization is like, it is like about the occupation of, of, of like organized power struggle in which dis- you know, people not in power are occu- like, like lose land and power and resources. Um, and he brought up Palestine and, you know, of course we are living on colonized land, uh, that we stole from, you know, white people stole from native people. Um, and so to, to just be careful that when we are like, I can decolonize in, you know, by nine o'clock this morning, you know, like when I was in my productive morning, like I just decolonized my day. Like to just be careful, right. (laughs) To just be mindful that actually like, okay, if we want to use that as this like sort of shorthand for like being self-reflexive and like doing what we can to be less shitty white people, like that's fine. But to remember that colonization is like a giant, serious, actual thing that you can't just undo as it as an individual thank you robin dg kelly for bringing the brilliance yes every time we should have a robin dg kelly segment where we just like (laughs) (laughs) this week's quote from robin dg kelly oh that would be great he doesn't have a twitter i had the hashtag him i couldn't at him 
No. Yeah, and his, somebody else runs his Facebook account, too. Oh, yeah. He's, like, super That's... not into social media. Yeah. I respect okay. that. Right. Anyway, do you want to um, – so that's sort of all I wanted to say. Do you want to say anything about Dudes Without Shirts on real quick before we – I do not like it when dudes come to yoga and they don't wear their shirts. That's it. Because you feel like it's not fair because women can't? I feel like it's – um. I f- it makes me uncomfortable. I would mm-hmm. – like – because it's like taking off half of your clothes. Like I just um, – from a safety standpoint, I just feel better – if we're all Mm -hmm. clothed, not that I'm like a prude, just kind of like, I don't want to see more of your body. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. um, but also because we live in a patriarchy and I can't take my shirt off. I would love to not have a shirt on when I'm doing yoga because I'm sweating too, but I can't because patriarchy. Yeah. And, um, even if I took my, I used to joke, I'm like, every time a guy takes a shirt off in yoga class, I'm just going to take mine off too. Mm -hmm. But then I don't want to make women feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. like as if like because I don't want because the body comparison thing is a horrible thing that women do to each other Mm -hmm. they always size each other up and so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want like people to think that that's what I'm doing like look at my whatever look at my stomach my you know right pale ass stomach check it out you know i'm not trying to objectify myself i don't want right. women, you know so it just makes me feel so uncomfortable and it makes me really angry when people do it in our studio because it's not a hot studio yeah and it's just it's like a peacock thing you know like yeah. let me show the feathers and right. i'm sure yeah, they don't like like a lot of sexism and racism that's sometimes people don't know they're that's the underlying feeling right. of what they're doing but does yeah. it not it doesn't bother you but you are from hot yoga so that's a, yeah that's the thing like I think it's just a different perspective yeah. like it's uh, I mean uh, you know it is fucked up that like so the the material of the tank tops I wear like are meant to like hold sweat and they're like tight on my body so like the when I'm like literally so I'm soaking wet after every class I take because of how hot it is um but with men's shirts it would be so uncomfortable for it to have like a t-shirt on when you're like sweating that much. So like, I actually, it actually doesn't, it doesn't bother me because just partly from like, I actually think that my lady tank tops work better, better than men's shirts. Yeah, and I'm saying this, so, you know, knowing that different genders can wear different things, whatever. But um, right. anyway, so yeah, so it doesn't bother me as much, but I hear you. I hear everything you're saying. Absolutely. Do, do women in the, your hot yoga classes, do they take off their shirts too and just wear their sports bras? Oh yeah. Okay. I, there's, there's, um, yeah, there's plenty of people who do that for okay. sure. All right. Yeah. Anyway, so that's shout yeah. out, shout out to the guys without shirts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like yeah. you. Okay. Um, cool. <laughs> well, that was, we could have, we could probably say so much more about this yoga talk, but I'm glad we got to sort of just talk about, um, some of those main, those main concepts. Um, I'm excited to link to a bunch of really great articles that, um, have helped me think through this. Um, and, uh, Let's finish off with what we're reading slash watching slash listening to. We could just say RWL. What are you? RWL. What are you WRLing? There we go. I love it. I'm always into the acronyms. Yeah. Uh, I am not listening to the new Drake album because it only got released digitally today. And when I went to the CD store, they didn't have it. (laughs) The CD gets released on the CD store. I love your 2002 life. I just love it. (laughs) I I did. I went to the CD store. I was like, do you guys have the new Drake album? They're like, 
uh, it doesn't come out till May 6th. I'm like, no, it comes out today. They're like, digitally, you have to wait until May 6th to get the CD. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> so boo on that. But I'm reading, yeah. I'm reading this book called the warrior series or it's the <laughs> warrior series. It's a young adult. I followed through on my young adult book purchase and it's all about cats. It's like a, cool. it's a like just, not dystopian, but like this cat lives in a house and he goes out for the night and he goes into the forest and there's this whole like cat, like fantasy world in the forest. Yeah. It's a very popular young adult series and I'm reading it. That's rad. Yeah. Cool. And and you? Uh, I am watching on repeat, like at least once a day, um, the vine compilation of the running man challenge and for the, have the hashtag Running Man Challenge. For those of you that don't know, this is a viral video trend sweeping the nation um, that consists of uh, the song My, My Boo by Ghost Town DJs um, coming on in some space. And then men, so far all the videos I've seen appear to, appear to be men, um, start dancing Um in, in what they call the running man, it's actually if like the nineties version of the running man is not what that looks like, but it's like this like cute little dance that they do. Um, and it is a million percent delightful. And as a critical media, critical race studies scholar, I think it's also really, um, important to note that everybody in the videos so far that I've seen have been black men. Okay, and I was waiting for that. I was like, if this yeah. is like business dudes, I'm not no, interested. God, no, no, no. It's all. And I, and if I, and if I may, they happen to, I, I don't know how they all are so handsome, but they're all very handsome and they're Sign all in, like, they're all like in various parts of the, you know, these are all from all over the place in the, in the country. So mm-hmm. it's not, you know, anyway. So yes. And I think that it is so, refreshing to see a viral video of black men that doesn't involve like them being shot by police right exactly exactly although there was one video of this challenge or whatever where they did like a mock police arrest and i was like i'm not i'm not like i that's there's too much there to like unpack for me so i'm just not processing that one that's not part of the compilation that i watch yeah um but yeah it's like it's it's so delightful. It's so fun, and uh, um, there's not enough representations of black men. And on, on the YouTube video, it was like, can't it, they said something like, "Can't wait till white people do this when it will actually get famous and also be terrible." Yes. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I definitely recommend everybody watching it before it. For white people ruin it, just like we right. ruined so many other things. Sorry, I'm really sorry. On behalf, I know I'm not supposed to have white guilt for my entire <laughs> crew of people, but I'm really sorry. Yeah, yeah. We fuck up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so what I'm watching. All right, go team. Okay, WTF. Power. Namaste.